We are thrilled and moved by the response to the podcast. We love reaching actors all over the world, actors like you, who tell us that our podcast inspires them, informs them, and makes them excited and proud to be an actor. Yeah, but make no mistake, an acting career is won by being in the consistent practice of the work, week after week, month after month, year after year. Success for an actor is in the doing. So here at the BGB studio, we offer the highest quality acting training for passionate, committed, talented, and ambitious actors. We see that kind of work transform talent into successful careers, and that makes us so happy. There is no substitute for doing the work consistently, and we offer the work of success. We are the home of your 10,000 hours. We offer ongoing and eight-week on-camera auditions, scene study, and workout classes. They're available now. So sign up now to secure your spot and get to work. Go to bramangarciabraun.com slash classes or click the link for classes in the podcast show notes. We'll see you in class. You want to book as much acting work as you can, as often as you can. We get that. The thing is, you don't book acting work by focusing on booking acting work. The industry is more dynamic than that. And the art is more interesting than that. By taking you inside the craft, the casting room, and the business, and bringing other industry experts into the conversation, we dig in. We pull back the curtain of the industry and show you how much power you really have as an artist. And by bringing your humanity to the work and the industry, you become an artistic leader, the kind of actor who books work. Even after decades of working with actors all over the world, in our classes at the BGB studio, teaching, coaching, casting, directing, producing, acting, on set, on stage, behind the camera, and in front, nothing excites us more than seeing you express your unique artistic voice, humanize the business, and book work doing it. We're here on the podcast and in class at the BGB studio to give you all the tools you need to be a championship-level working actor right now in an industry that desperately needs your voice and your leadership. Yeah, industry and artistry. This is the only place you're going to hear this. I'm Risa. And I'm Steve. And this is the Acting Podcast from the BGB Studio. John Frank Levy is a four-time Emmy Award-winning casting director. He has cast such iconic TV shows as China Beach, ER, The West Wing, and Shameless, just to name a few big ones, as well as dozens of other series, miniseries, TV movies, digital series, video games, and features. John is also a five-time winner of the Casting Society of America's Artios Award and the recipient of its prestigious Hoyt Bowers Award, given for excellence in casting and outstanding contributions to the casting profession. That's quite a list of accomplishments. Throughout John's career, he has been a proud collaborator with many hugely accomplished writers, actors, producers, showrunners, and directors. And he is most gratified for the friendships he's forged and the talent he's helped foster. We're really thrilled to be talking to John today and to be discussing his new book, Right for the Role. So we are here with the esteemed casting director of many decades. And I can say that because I have done many decades, so it's a compliment, John Levy. Um, hmm? No, I was just going to say, yes, we have. Thank you. Yeah. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. It's, uh, funny how we go through decades and decades of working side by side and never really get to know each other or see each other or even or even sometimes meet each other it's yeah uh, does the so union we, offer opportunities like among, i mean they have is mixers, there a fraternity I think for for mm-hmm. the associates the casting for young society. people coming yeah. up yeah but uh i i don't know i i i've never seen an opportunity to uh, get well, together and yeah. know each other it's true. It's true, and and I think it, most of it is because we're we're just working all the time, yes. you know, and we're in the grind of it, and it gets um, okay. So let's dive in because you've had this extraordinary career that's gone for for decades and still at it. Um, let's go back to the beginning and and just ask you what it was that brought you to casting. Well, you know, it was funny, Risa, because I had a fellowship at the Mark Taper Forum to direct there and work there. And I had never heard of a casting director when I got there, 1980. Don't do the math. <laughs> but um, uh, one of my responsibilities there was was to do readings of new plays. And so there was somebody from the literary department, the playwright, me directing these readings, and this mysterious creature 
called a casting director who brought actors to my attention and we quickly decided on who to use and we would do three or four days of rehearsal and then uh, present the reading of the play to the staff and some of those plays got put into the pipeline um, in the development pipeline so that was my first experience Frank Bayer was the casting director oh, at the taper okay. in those days and then eventually Rick Pagano and Amy, Amy Lieberman April Webster yeah. all people that I you know that I grew amazing up with. people yeah. yeah yeah and and so that was when I first found out and and I watched and that was an amazing experience because I got to obviously speak the language of the director because I w was being one but I was also speaking the language of the actors and speaking the language of the playwright the writer and learning that that was what a casting director had to do was speak all of those languages at the same time then when I left the taper maybe two and a half years later um, I directed a play at the Coronet Theater for Peg Yorkin, and uh, it was the dining room, A.R. Gurney Jr.'s play, and uh, it got panned in the Los Angeles Times, and I went out for a cocktail in that opening week with Barbara Clayman, um, and she said something like, if you're going to take it that hard, kid, you better do something else. Why don't you come and work for me? And I started on the next Monday. Mm. And that was the beginning, maybe 1983 or something. Well, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and I've been doing it ever since and having a, a really, a, it's a great job, isn't it? Don't you, don't you love it? Sometimes. Really, I love it almost all the time. That's fantastic. Why? I mean, um, well, I think there are two things about being a casting director that stand out for me as my favorite. And one of them is because I'm a child of the 60s. I was in college in the late 60s. And so uh, the whole concept of community uh, uh, and collaboration are very, very important to me. They're ingrained in my sort of approach to anything. And um, being a casting director gives me that opportunity. Also, I'm very interested in growing and changing as a person and having experiences. And being a casting director affords me that opportunity. Uh, I, I get to be in communities uh, that I don't know a damn thing about. And, and then I get, as a result of that, I get to learn and grow. And, and uh, you know, if we stop wanting that, then we stop doing that. And uh, I think that's the kind of death which doesn't appeal to me at all. Which is interesting, backing up even before this time at, at the directing at the taper, what, when you were a kid, made, made you think like, oh, that, whether it's directing or the entertainment industry generally, art generally as opposed to accounting or anything else? Well, my wonderfully complicated mother uh, took me to off-Broadway plays in New York where I grew up and uh, plays I had no business seeing, had no possibility of understanding. And Why did she take you? Uh, I, I think she needed a date. I, huh. I don't know. So it wasn't for your own... No, I don't know. I yeah. know. Uh, uh, she took me because she believed that the theater was... Uh, kind of took the place of religion in our mm. upbringing and in her life. Uh, she had a lot of sort of off-Broadway producer, writer, friends. She was a scientist and an academic. My dad wrote for the New York Times. Um, so we were in that sort of intelligentsia of, of New York. My, my dad famously said that we were uh, from uh, communist corned beef Jews, that we didn't go to Temple, but we went to the deli and we went to the theater right. and the museum. Well, that, yeah, and you lived where in, in, in the city? I, I grew up in Riverdale uh, oh, yeah, in, yeah, the, yeah. in the Bronx. Yeah. Fascinating. So, so when you started leaning towards the entertainment industry, what was the reaction? From my parents? Yeah. Uh, I think they knew that they were, I was out of their control by that time. Uh, when I was in college, my dad and I had been kind of estranged. Mm. And my mom was teaching on a Fulbright Fellowship in Kenya. Uh, and so I was very independent. On your own, yeah. On my own at 18, yeah. both for good and for... Uh, and for what what uh, John Lewis used to call good trouble. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so so you you make that transition from directing because you got panned to to casting. What's that experience like? I mean, it, it must be in many ways like like trying to jump on a moving train with the amount of work and uh, uh, yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, Barbara's office. They, they we did. Um, 
Tamara, which was that live oh, yeah. play in Los Angeles where yeah. people, it was environmental. Yeah. We were doing commercials. My first job that I did for Barbara was a Budweiser national commercial. But we, we also did a pilot for television and Iron Eagle, the feature. So it was just like, yeah, a, yeah, a lot. Uh, you know, put your bag at the door and sit down and get started. And, and, and you loved it. I did right Why? away. Why? Um, the excitement of it and yeah. the, the busyness of it, the pace of it. Uh, coming to California from New York uh, was like popping the clutch and going from fourth to second in many ways. And, and um, so when I got uh, an opportunity to let my energy be a benefit, uh, I was very excited about that. Now, are you in the room with actors at this point, or are you just doing some admin stuff? No, I, I, we were right in the room with actors. What was that like? Oh, it, fantastic. We did a, a, a feature, I've forgotten the guy's name now, um, a Hungarian director, and it was seven leading men, who, and they spent the, they had arranged a party at a house of prostitution, uh, and uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Go one, on. one of the one of the working girls' specialty was whispering sweet or not so sweet nothings, and one of the actresses, well, I guess, was Methodish, and she in fact whispered not so sweet nothings in my ear. Oh, the director's name was Peter Medak. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And and apparently my face turned uh, crimson. And he referred to me as the human thermometer from then on. Uh, and, this, and this was they. This was a, a bond, bonding exercise among the cast. And no, it was it was the audition. Oh, that was the audition. It was, she, it was, do you remember a oh. gal called Claudia Cron? No. She was uh, she was represented by Roe Diamond, and she had been a lingerie model. I see. And she was quite beautiful, and she said things that no one had ever said to me oh. before. So you were in it. You were thrown right in, in <laughs> inside the fray. Yeah. And, yeah. And, well, that uh, was exciting. Yeah, really yeah, exciting. Yeah. And what about actors? Uh, what was your relationship like with actors coming from a place of being a director and from the theater? What was that like? How did that serve? How did that serve the work? And how did that inform it? And how? You know, how did that yeah, change? You know, I've always had a natural respect for the magic that acting is, and and you know, the one the people who can really do it, and you're seven feet away from them, and getting paid instead of buying a ticket, um, and and that magic is incredibly powerful for me and always has been. I think that started for me as a boy in those off-Broadway theaters uh, with my mom. Uh, I remember seeing a play uh, uh, that was a, 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 an amalgam of different little, little snippets of scenes, and there was a seven- or eight-year-old African-American girl who was doing a monologue about her first day integrating an all-white school and she lost her line and stayed in the character completely. And it must have felt like a month to her. It was probably 10 seconds. And finally she said, line? And the stage manager threw it to her and she went right on. And I thought, wow, she's special and it's special. And I, this is a, a room I want to be in again. Wow. Yeah. And I still, I think to this day, the thing that I do best is love, respect, and advocate for actors. I, I think they're magicians. And yet it's an industry that doesn't always allow for that advocating that, or space for, for no. that love and respect. So but, how do you navigate both of those things? Well, you know, I've been really, really fortunate because I've had one producing company that I've worked for for almost more than 30 years, I think, John Wells Productions. And John came in as the head of the writing room on China Beach. And, and then, of course, ER happened, and, and all of those writers and producers and directors that were part of that uh, evolution and change um, stayed with us and through many, many, many projects, successful and not so successful. And some of them are lifelong friends uh, and, uh, and 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 it, we develop that language that can happen over a long-term relationship. You know, I, I'm so grateful that I didn't have to bounce from this organization to that producer, to this writer, to that director, because then you spend the first period of time establishing your 
rapport and, and also your credibility. Yeah. You, been, you didn't have to prove yourself. I, I, after a certain point, yeah. I, I really didn't. Yeah, you had a shorthand and a respect. All that's, of that. Yeah, that's pretty rare. Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, I'm so grateful for that opportunity yeah. and aware of how rare it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you get to really collaborate with those people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, that, and that's the, the thing that, as I said to begin with, that, that community building and that collaboration, and that's very important to John Wells as well. So he collects and uses us over and over again. You know, I've been working with the same prop master for since the beginning of, of ER, and so if I need something or he needs something or, you know, the same costumer who can call and say, why aren't these deals closed? Damn it, we don't. Until shameless, they weren't allowed to be naked. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it, just to, to piggyback on what Steve said, so, you know, the industry is challenging beyond that. So you still have to report to studios and networks, and now that everybody weighs in because everybody's watching stuff on tape. Um, and, and you know, you see actors who you love who you can't cast. You can only cast one person in each role. What What is that like for you just to deal with, you know, all of those voices, even ones you respect? And, and the where does the, you know, the commerce meet the art in all of that? And where is that challenging? And how do you navigate that? Well, you know, when I left the theater to go into television, I thought to myself, uh, okay, I'm leaving myself as an artist behind, and now I'm going to be a hooker. And, uh, and uh, fortunately, somehow I was able to maintain my sense of myself uh, as I made that transition. Yeah, I, I am a, enough of a brat so that the technology and the supervision, uh, which I might call meddling, that is now not only permitted, but completely necessitated by the fact that they're in your office, whether you like it or not, for every one-line part and the star of every new show you're trying to create. And I think maybe a 25-year-old casting director on their first job who's working for a showrunner on his first job with a director on her first job should be supervised by the buyers. But um, I think once we all have established our credibility, um, that, that we should be left alone to do our work. I loved doing the pilot of ER because it was just pre all of that technology. Right. We didn't even have a fax machine. Right. Nobody had a cell phone. There were no computers on your desk. You'd do the VHS and you'd do a couple of copies and you'd send them out, but, it, but you had to move in the meantime. Yeah. And, and yeah. you called the network executive and you'd say, yeah. for that role we're using so-and-so. And they'd go, great. In a respectful yeah. way. And they yeah. would say, sure, great even if they didn't even know who it was. <laughs> no, I remember. We were left alone a lot. Yeah, and, that, and, and I, I, it has been a hard transition for me because by the time technology happened, I was sure of myself, confident, and so I had to... And I didn't always succeed at being politic in my dealing with those people. I, I may have told a few people to jump in a lake... Mm. over the years and 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 in today's climate you can't do that what do you mean by that i mean if you have a passionate argument with a casting executive at a network and it gets a little too passionate they report you to their hr and then you have to go to sensitivity training if I was any more sensitive, I'd be crying all day. Yeah. Well, but that's the real trick of it, right? Isn't it? And, you know, Steve, you and I have talked about that a lot. When you're in it because you love actors and you love the work and the storytelling of it, right? And then oh. you advocate for somebody and you know it's right. And you're doing it on behalf of your team even because right. you're the one on the front line, Absolutely. right? Then when people don't hear you and don't they, they're like they don't care because they want they either have a different vision or there's there's politics involved or whatever, yeah. then it gets it's it's challenging because you're like, but this is this is right we know yeah. that and you know you feel strongly. Well, I mean, about I, there it. is a story that I think I tell in my book, yeah. which is uh, uh, a very nice man who I like a lot, who was an executive at Fox, and we were doing a pilot. It was called Studio City. Uh, inc incidentally, uh, the network didn't like the leading girl that we wanted to cast, uh, and we had to fight, and John actually had to advocate for her at a higher level than me by a long shot, and eventually she was approved, and they never liked her, and her name is probably quite familiar, Florence Pugh. Mm. Uh, and, and because they didn't like her, 
they didn't like the pilot and it didn't get picked up. But during that pilot, there was a moment when somebody got injured and a emergency medical technician came to the house to uh, treat the person's injury. It was a minor injury. And uh, this nice man that I like and respect said, um, the EMT is not approved. And I was like, but he has one line and the camera will be off him before you know it. And why, what are you, why are you, you saying that? And then eventually after we went back and forth a few times, I said to him, rather pompously, I'm sure, um, I have cast more one-line EMTs than everybody else on the planet Earth combined. And John Wells chose this guy. And um, I don't understand why you have the authority to not approve a part like that. Uh, and, and I think I've learned my lesson now that you can't say, you, you have to couch that uh, with less arrogance and less aggressiveness. Otherwise, you'll get canceled. And at a certain point, ultimately, don't you have to just stand down? Because that's that's the hierarchy of the situation. Yeah, I guess you do. <laughs> you got to pick your fights in, in a yeah, way. Yeah, absolutely. You know? and, and fighting about a one-line a EMT to, yeah, is just a stupid yeah. decision on my part. Well, but but you're in it. You're in like yeah. you're in the heat of it. Absolutely. For all the right reasons. Which is which is why you're paid also, right? To be right. passionate about this, to right. care, right. And, to be invested. And you, you just said that you're the voice of a team. And John used me when when there was a fight he would let me be the first person in the door <laughs> to carry his water uh, so he didn't have to fight at a higher level and um you know sometimes that protected him and and put me in harm's way but and we go but, but also cuz i've been there you go in you go like I'm going in yeah. on behalf of everybody, and I've learned over time to go back and go. I I can't win this fight. You guys can win this fight if you want to no fight, one or no one can. You know, let's and and I always would. I think the best producers I worked for would always say, "Let's pick our fights. Let's pick our battles." Sure. And and if they really are going to say no to this person. Yeah. You know, then and they're then they won't pick up the show or they won't exactly. distribute the I mean, movie. If Florence or, Pugh is not yeah. good enough actor to uh, to let that show. You know, I mean, yeah. she was so happy that it didn't go because she's gone on to be an Academy Award nominated actress. Right, 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 right. But at the, you know, and sometimes there just is that that sort of thing that doesn't fit, and it's when when to let go of all that, when yeah. to be able to go home and say. You know, this is a bigger fight than is than I than I can fight, and it's not worth it right. in the end. Even though I know I'm right in all of this, a absolutely. And, that, and that's not an easy lesson for some of us to learn. Yeah. Because and we're in it. We're in the in, not in the fight, but we're in the caring. The, in, we care. Yeah. 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 And, and that's and, and that's wonderful that you do. Oh. And I totally get that it gets heated, the, and I totally the, get the, that it gets uh, personal. The casting directors who don't really care, right? I, I don't get it. I don't get what why they're doing it. Mm. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's a passion profession. Yeah, uh, and, I love and, that you say and that. And it yeah. ought to be. Yeah. You know, uh, and and you know, I, I do. I also tell a story in the book uh, about Shameless. Years later, um, we had a session uh, for the original Mandy Milkovich in the pilot, uh -huh. who was uh, Ian's best friend and yeah. kept his secret that he was a gay teenager. And uh, we had a, a session. It was a very good session. There were maybe four, four of the seven young women who really could have done it. Uh, and John chose somebody in the session. And I uh, called him at 9.30 that night. I might have had a glass of wine or six. And, um, and I said to him, hey, you know, obviously it's your decision, not mine. I knew how to be politic with him. <laughs> yeah, but you, 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 you were in the trenches together. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, but I, I really think you, you, you may have chosen the wrong person. You know, one out of a thousand, it's a big surprise. But would you please let me bring you Jane Levy again tomorrow? Mm -hmm. uh, just 15 minutes, could I find it in your schedule? And he was like, sure. <laughs> you know? And the next day, Jane came in and she got the job. Wow. And, the, the, and I felt 
fantastic. Of course, she left after the first season because she got a pilot where she was a series regular instead of a recurring guest star, and we had to recast the part. It was an, an, a third young actress. So, And so you describe that moment where you're watching this amazing young actor offer a monologue, and you it's magic, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that is an actor uh, showing up and offering their talent to you. In a situation like this, where you have advocated for an actor, or even just it's it's you know a pre-read or whatever it is, and an actor isn't in that place, and you see them struggling, you see all the blocks come up and the self-consciousness. Um, what does it do for? How do you feel about that, and how do you guide them to a different place? Well, I, I'm so in their shoes in those sessions. I, I feel their feelings so deeply, and I'm so connected to them, care so much about their success because their success is my success, and we're in it together. Uh, but when I see someone who um, is struggling at that level, I know in my heart that no matter what else I think about them, this is important information that I can't pretend I haven't seen. And it means that they're not yet there. No, not yet there for that role, not yet there in their careers. Like what? Both. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, the first time I brought you in for the wrong part, that's on me. The second time uh, you weren't prepared enough, that's on you. The third time, maybe you really don't have it. Mm. Uh, and that's hard because... What's, I, what's it? Um, that combination of dedication, commitment, training, imagination, experience, all of the things that go into making an actor an actor. Uh, you know, and it's impossible for an actor not to take it personally because it's them, right? It's their body, it's their voice, it's their, yeah. uh, you know, it's them. You know, something that we always tell actors is, and, and it's sort of in the ether, if you're, if, if you're brought back, it means that, that the casting director does like you and care about you and wants to find a role for you. Absolutely. And you will bring somebody back a number of times. But I love, and I think it's important because our audience is, a, you know, actor or actors, um, to remember that you do need to show up for the work. And we can get to the new way of working the self-tape thing in a minute because that's sure. a whole other can of worms. But, you, you it, like, knowing what you need to show up with you know, is is important, and and you can't be lazy about it, and you have to take responsibility for it, no, and it will pay off. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I say to to actors, uh, take your work seriously, and don't take yourself too seriously. Mm -hmm. And if you can do both of those things, you you you, you know, and you know, pet peeves. People always ask that question, and you know, obviously, being late, being irresponsible, being unprepared, all of those things, right, good right. manners, all of those things. But for the for me, the the most important pet peeve is not taking it seriously. Just thinking you're the prettiest girl in your high school class or you were the funniest boy in your high school class and that you can rely on that and not do the work. Yeah. And we all have to do the work. Yeah, and I think what's tricky for actors is understanding what that really means because there's so much fear and anxiety and need and wanting to please and wanting to be chosen and needing to show up and do all the stuff and, and being ter so terrified, we all know what that's like, gets in our way, their way, and you see that sometimes. I completely and, agree, know. but the thing for me is that you know, an actor would ask me, how do I get over my nerves? Right. And I say, do the work. If you do the work... The character isn't nervous. You're, the marriage between you as the actor and the character isn't nervous, unless that's what the scene's about. But And if you're doing the work, you can't be in your own stuff. Shit. Yeah. yeah. You know, you can't be. Yeah. What do you make of the the, the self-perception that a casting director has? Because oftentimes, you know, we've chatted with casting directors in this forum, uh, they come from similar places, love this, they see actors, it's magic. And then the perception they get from actors is you are the gatekeeper, you are the giver or taker of careers, et cetera. And so You're cold that, and, and that generosity yeah. is not seen, can't be seen even in, in that place of, oh my God, please love me. How well, do you I really do that? hope that a that, uh, majority of actors that have been in my office know that I love them that I respect them, that I admire them, that I am in awe of them in some ways, because I couldn't do it. I, I, I wanted to be an actor, and I was kind of cute enough and smart enough and funny enough, maybe, in, in my social 
life, but I, I couldn't get past myself to be an actor. Um, you know, I, I, I just, first of all, we can say yes, we can say no and maybe, and we say yes collaboratively. So that whole notion that we're this all-powerful thing is nonsense. I like to think of myself as the funnel and not the wall between you and the job. And if you don't get the job and you did your work, then you'll be back in my office again. Right, right. But if you don't get your, the job and you didn't do the work, that's not, that's not me stopping you from anything that's you stopping yourself and i'm i'm okay with that i i don't feel about i don't feel about us that we're uh arbiters of power or you know inflictors of you know i I think we we are good observers of what's in front of us and we're you know the title of my book is right for the role and uh, actors think they're right for a lot of roles that they're not but for me the, that title is actually kind of a pun because my journey has been to find the role I'm right for, the place where my skills and talents and beliefs and the things I care about, passions, are uh, uh, beneficial, mm. an what, asset. What made you want to write the book? Um, Was it something you've been thinking about for a while? Or? No. Okay. Uh, I did a, a, a podcast for an acting teacher in town and uh, she had just written a sort of branding book about her technique, as if everybody's technique is so incredibly different from each other's, but whatever. And uh, she had used a writer to help her do the book. And uh, after we did the podcast, she said, you know, your, your stories are good and interesting and funny, and they, they could they could be beneficial, and you should write a book. And But I met the woman who wrote her book with her and I, I uh, she was fantastic. Cool. Uh, her name is Trudy Roth and there would be no book without her. Uh, wow. It wasn't in our contract but I, I ended up giving her you know as told to on the cover um, and uh, she'll be my friend forever which is a fantastic thing and uh, she gave me the assignment to send her an email every day. It was the height of the pandemic, so we hadn't met in person. Uh, I, I sent her an email maybe three, four, five times a day of a memory. Uh, and uh, she collected them. She researched my career, and she helped me organize it. And also, she's a mom and a wife and a nurturer, and she made me feel comfortable. And she made me feel that in order for the book to have resonance and impact... I had to reveal myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I didn't. Well, I was reluctant to do at first. How come? Um, I'm a private person. You know, I, 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 one of the early readers of the, my of the book is the mother of my two children, who is my ex-wife, and she said, um, "God, you had a great career and you loved it so much." and Why'd you have to talk about our marriage so much? And uh, I said, well, because when it was good, it nurtured me and helped me. And when it turned lousy, it made me into a work addict. And uh, that was good, too. <laughs> you know, you got to get personal. Always. You, you got to. Yeah, yeah. It's what we do. We're in the business of telling stories. the stories of people. That's right. So if you're not willing to be a person. Yeah. And I, and I think, it, you know, back to your observation and question is that this perception that casting is somehow the wall uh, I, I think the way I was able to knock that down to whatever extent I was able to is that I revealed myself and in the waiting room I played the fool and goofed around with people and helped them relax and uh, I, I, made, I tried to make them feel valued and comfortable and uh, you know, feed them what they needed to be fed to to do their job as well as they they could. Yeah. And I think that's an important reminder for actors because we want to see them and know them and uh, have them reveal themselves yeah. and find their connection with the story and the character and the relationships and the scenes and the work. And that's part of doing the work, you know, and it's hard because we're asking them also to put their hearts on the table yeah. and we may just not engage you know uh, without question uh, and we'll and, engage in the work but we may we may not cast them very likely that's they're not going to get yeah cast. the chances are you're yeah. not getting the job yeah and and so how do you get how do you say to 
our audience. Chances are you're not getting the job. Do the work anyway. What's yeah. the message in that well, for you? Because if you love it, and if it's your dream, you know, what's the, is it Jiminy Cricket or is it P, uh, Pinocchio? When you wish upon a star. How are you going to have a dream? How are you going to make your dream come true, right? I mean, you got to be willing to dream and tell people about your dream and demonstrate your dream. And and it is, it is I know personally that revealing myself in the book was hard. And, and you know, interestingly... During the casting of Shameless, I learned that there are lots of actors who are much more comfortable taking their clothes off than they are revealing their their hearts. Their hearts. Yeah, yeah. Do you think cast directors get the um, respect they deserve in the industry? I'm sort of pointing directly to the lack of Academy Award. Yeah, no. Because um, everybody thinks they could be a casting director. You know, mm-hmm. they think, oh well, I I know who should have played that part. Yeah, costumes, music, and casting. It's like everybody's game. I could have yeah. done that. I know yeah. those songs. I know oh, those actors. That color blue is yeah. just horrible. Yeah. Big opinions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. People don't really know what 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 the work is. No, they don't. I mean, the nuts and bolts of it are, you know, and 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 that's not the emotional stuff. There's also all that other stuff. But I don't think they know the emotional stuff either. No, I guess not. I mean, you're talking a lot about that, and that's a big part of it. You uh, know. Yeah, for me. You know, there are those casting directors who watch everything. I don't know how it's possible anymore, but even in the old days when there were just four networks, I I was not encyclopedic. I I was always... I uh, say in in my book that I, I'm a vibist, and an early reader, an old dear friend of mine said, "That's somebody who plays the vibraphones." What are you talking about? And I was like, "I'm not taking it out. It means that I get your vibe, and I know what your quality is, and I, and if that if you marry with what I need, uh, I'm excited and happy, and I can go home and have dinner with my." kids or my wife or my new relationship or you know I can have my life if I succeed there's nothing worse than having to stay in your office until 10 o'clock planning a new session after you bombed yeah yeah <laughs> yeah which happens and I, I, I think people in the industry not just actors but you know executives and and writers and producers and showrunners and financiers don't really understand that I agree you know and so because of that there's and I think there's something about like the the origin of casting also going back to being the secretaries years ago at the studios and and just being functionaries and they all were of av- that availability yeah. checkers. Yes, that's right. That's it. And yeah. in some ways, that you know, we're not in the room much anymore. Ugh. So what is that like for you? Because especially coming as we do from the old days yeah. before cameras. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, there were cameras, but we didn't have casting cameras, so or we yeah, had I, big I, clunky um, ones. I hate it. Because I always learned more about you in the waiting room and in the moment when I introduced you to the director, writer, and producer who were in my room and in watching you take direction. All of that was just as important, maybe in some ways more important than the actual audition itself. Because a talented, dedicated, hardworking actor can change their performance, but they can't change their essence. Um, and and on a self tape, I don't know if it's tape take thirty five, or take one. Uh, I don't know a, a million things. I don't know much about you in that situation, and I miss it mm. greatly. I mean, obviously there are like with everything about technology, there are great advantages, efficiency, and you, you know you can see thirty people where we used to see ten for a part. It's not always. I, I'm not sure it's always beneficial to see 30, but um, I, um, I miss people. I, I, I'm disappointed in myself that I was so adaptable during the pandemic that I got to be okay with seeing my longtime partner and my son and his wife and, and pretty much nobody else. For well, what choice did we have? We, I had, mean, no we had to adapt. Absolutely. It's just now, There's to me, there have to be some adjustments in uh, all of that, right? I, if there aren't, uh, you know, and I think it's economics, Risa, don't you, that the studio has discovered that we don't, you know, have to have an office. We don't have to have computers and telephones and all that stuff, which is expensive. Uh, and and uh, they can give us a stipend above our fee to 
have a home office, but um, I don't see how you can tell the story of I think some of it's that and some of it's a lack of awareness on the part of, because I've talked to executives and producers and and showrunners and and directors and writers about this, and they're not aware of what actors are going through right now, what casting directors are going through, and the lack of, 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 of connection. Because they have got used to, even before the pandemic, right, watching stuff you'd send them on tape. They didn't yeah. come in the room for a long yeah. time. Some of the old school ones needed to, but but they everyone got used to watching stuff at home. So whether they were in your room, John, or my room, or not, or at home, you know, or somewhere in the Catskills, sure. they would... And that's part of what's efficient about yeah, it, because, yeah. you, you know, if you had to get the, the episode's writer, the director, and the showrunner into your room for two and a half hours twice in a week in the prep, that was hard for the schedulers to figure out. Except now they're watching tapes at their kid's soccer game or like okay. on the 405. Exactly, or, or in the hotel room on their location, on their location scout, scout or whatever. Or in, the, or in the van coming back from, Yeah, you and know. I don't think they're really paying attention. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't personally think that it'll ever come back for co-stars. I, I just don't think that co-stars will ever be in the room again. But I think we have to go back for guest stars, recurring parts, and, and for pilots, and for important arcs. And we have to be able to do mix and match and chemistry stuff. And, and, and what I remember not that long ago is, especially on a pilot, right, is that that's where the director and the writer... And the and the producers would figure it out. Absolutely, in the we room, were always right in real time. You know, we said earlier, first in the door when yeah. you're in a confrontation about something. But also, casting in a pilot is where the studio, the network, and the creators find their conflicts and their common grounds. Yeah. and they find the role. They find the the yeah. people. They find the humanity of their characters. Absolutely. They are born in those rooms. And, and I've always really tried to get my uh, writers particularly yeah. to get off their preconception. You may have written it as your cousin Joe, but it doesn't have to look like your cousin Joe, and right. it doesn't have to sound like your cousin Joe. Right, right, right. It, it, it's not your cousin Joe. Yeah. Do we think the actual work that makes it to television is suffering, or is it just that the process now is harder? Mm-hmm. Like, as self-tapes and Zooms, is that making it worse in terms of the actual uh, the, the process is making it harder. Yeah, sure. And I'm sorry to say that the one time I did a mix-and-match chemistry reading on Zoom in a callback situation mm-hmm. was on Animal Kingdom. We were casting Sean Hattesey at 16, his twin sister who died in the pilot of a heroin overdose, we never saw her, and uh, Scott Speedman at 17. And all of those auditions were self-tapes. One guy was uh, in rural Canada, one guy was in New York, and one gal was in L.A., and they, we kept shoving them out into the waiting room and back in. With, and at a certain point, the director, Nick Copas, said to me, this is weird. And I said, it is really weird, isn't it? And he said, but you know, eventually our audience is going to see them on television. <laughs> and that kind of a little light bulb went off with me, and I was like, well, y- yeah. But seeing the deep breath before they started the scene is important to me. Yeah, sure. W- w- seeing who's got the giant circle of sweat under their left armpit is important to me. It's not detrimental. What does that say to you? It, it says they're working hard and they care. Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, for, for the most part, or yeah. maybe well, they you need feel a new brand of feel deodorant. Yeah, or, yeah, I don't yeah. know. There's nothing. Yeah, it's three dimension. It's it's human. It's yeah. Um, so what would you th- what would you say to the studios and the networks and the financiers about how to and showrunners how to proceed from here? Please don't forget that we're telling the stories of human beings, and the more I love your word connection. Uh, the more connection we have in the process, mm. the more revealing that connection is, and the more likely we'll get to the right result. And I, I will acknowledge that we will probably, because we care, we'll figure out a way to get to the right result with less connection, but it won't be as satisfying to do it, and I think there'll be more likelihood of error. Mm. The, the two of you have come up uh, through the industry in a particular way, a particular time. Certain mentors you've worked with hitting walls. The work has changed dramatically. And of course, you know, end of March 2020, uh, seismic shifts. What do you say to a young casting director who's like got their first job like two years ago and, and, and wants to really 
get it. Like what, it's a different universe than, than the yeah. one that, that you were in, both of you were in maybe even 15 years ago. Um, what's the hope for casting, do you think? Well, I, I would just uh, say take advantage of all of the skills and talents that you've gotten out of being part of the new world, but don't forget that these are the stories of love and death and power gained and lost that we've been telling for 25 million years and, and that, that that is a high art and that, that, that you can, that all of that new stuff, you have to find a way to turn it into an asset, but you can't forget what we're doing uh, and we're, we're telling the stories of connection and of people and the, the stories that are going to make us cry, laugh, learn, grow. And I, th I think it's important to hear from someone like you and someone like Risa as well for those younger folks, because I think the, the habitual nature of the technology and the, hiding, the, the potential to hide behind it, even in an industry that is dangerous and emotionally violent and all that kind of stuff, if you can hide behind the, the social media of it and, yeah. and the pace of it, you end up not uh, engaging in that humanity as a casting director. Right, and then you, you, you end up giving the actor and the director and the writer and the showrunner permission to not engage and not connect. Mm -hmm. And that's bound to have an impact. Right, and, and I think that's a, there's a very important part of what a casting director does that people don't know, you know? It's, so, so what is that? It's the interconnecting of all of those artists and the way of saying that, you know, I think I started out by saying when I was doing those play readings at the taper, I learned to speak the language of actors, I learned to speak the language of writers, and I learned to speak the language of directors. And that's one of the things that a casting director is, is an interconnectivity a, a person who, who is fluent in all of those languages. Yeah, yeah. And so it's really important because you set the tone yeah. for how the work is done, perceived, transmitted, and ends up on screen. All of that. And yeah. that's what's one of the things that's really exciting about it. Yeah. Is that you, you, you know, have you, have you ever introduced two people that ended up falling in love, it's a great feeling. Yeah. And th that's kind of what we do as casting directors, is you introduce a director to, uh, to an actor and they fall in love and then hopefully they behave themselves. And that's really yeah. another part of what, what we do, is that we, I, I fall in love with actors. And, and the idea that I can only cast a certain kind of, you know, that now, nowadays, we are kind of typecast as casting directors. Uh, I think if a project has a female lead, the studio thinks there has to be a female casting director. And um, I have been very successful at casting female-driven projects. And, and I can fall in love with anybody and, and have. <laughs> well, I think also some of the young executives out there need to be educated in this as well because I don't think they really understand that the heart and soul and, and interconnectivity that you're talking about in terms of what a casting director can potentially do for a project. I, I you know? absolutely agree. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to go back to something that you said before because, again, for our audience, you said something that they need to come in, they need to do the work. I think that a lot, we, we see here at the studio that often actors will come because we do uh, audition and self-tape classes and they're like, please give me the magic trick, give me the tip and trick, whatever that is, right? The, the, the bullet points of how I go in and do the work and, and, and you know, do the best self-tape on earth, right? And we always come back to the, the core work of it. It's not about where your eyeline is. It's not about your background. It's not about either the memorization for its own sake. So how would you expand on what doing the work is for you from your point of view? Yeah, well, I mean, I think you have to uh, read the text and read the text and read the text uh, and then read the text again and try not to jump to what what result ought to be where you need to this and what when you need to that and try to find the places where your experiences and yourself merge with the circumstances of the character and then where you don't merge with the character use your imagination to merge with the circumstances of the character and then memorize the internal voyage 
of the scene, figure out where the pivots are and where the where where things change, and uh, but but not think of it as what you have to do, but more where you have to be emotionally and what you have to draw on experientially or imaginatively. And if you memorize that journey, I swear to God, the result will take care of itself. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of trust, though, too. And, oh, yeah. And practice. Yeah, all We're of big that. advocates of trust and practice. I had a great experience with, you know, Chris Mulkey. Yeah. Uh, he came in and read for something on Animal Kingdom towards the end of the show. And it was big part, three, four episodes, and a hard part. And afterwards, I, I said to him, hey, Chris, when did you learn to do nothing? And he said, about 15 years ago, <laughs> but it took me, you know, 20. And uh, um, by doing nothing, I'm, obviously he did quite a bit, but he didn't do it on purpose. He, he wasn't, perform it. Yeah. He wasn't um, guiding the river. He was jumping in the water and letting it take him where it took him. And, and, and that, to me, is the, the, the best acting. It's just... Uh, uh, and it does take a lot of trust and a lot of experience to just uh, let it be. Yeah, and, and that is not easy um, for we're actors gonna, to trust that. We're going to take just a little break here and come back and get to uh, a couple uh, candy celebrity stories from uh, your book as well, which I know you have many of. We'll take a little break. We know that you're feeling the stress of these challenging and uncertain times. We are too. And it's possible that you have no idea how to nourish yourself as an actor, as an artist in all of this. And we're here to tell you that that's okay. Everyone we know in and around this industry is feeling all that. And we want you to know that we're here to help. Every month we open up our online studio doors and invite you to join us for a virtual workshop where we dismantle and reconfigure your approach to your craft, the industry, auditions, booking, self-tapes, and taking care of your creative soul. It's our mission to make you feel empowered and confident, even excited about what's ahead and what you can do right now. So join Steve and me online, meet our amazing teachers, find out what actions you can take in order to thrive, and let us guide you to the success you're looking for. To reserve your spot, check out the Summit link in our show notes to sign up. Space is limited, but we want you to be there, so click the link. So we're back. Uh, question I have, because it's uh, you know been told a thousand times over that uh, George Clooney uh, was going from pilot to pilot to pilot and was a non-issue. Many people thought he was done, couldn't hold down a pilot. Uh, all of a sudden, you come around uh, with ER. Tell that story, if you would. Well, sure. Um, you know, George had a what's, what's called a holding deal, yeah? Yeah. Uh, at Warner Brothers Television because he was what everybody was looking for. A 36-year-old guy with a sense of humor and a, a, a sense of a great sexuality and uh, enough intelligence to, you know, hold a, a leading role. And yes, he had had all these uh, failed pilots. And uh, uh, um, he tells the story, and I don't actually remember this, that he was working on Sisters as one of the love interests for one of the ladies, and that I went to his dressing room and in a brown paper bag like I was delivering a dirty magazine, um, it gave him the script of ER. I, I honestly, he, I think he may have made that up. He said that on the Charlie Rich show or somebody's show. I don't know. Um, but in any event, uh, the now shamed television executive Leslie Moonves, who was the president of Warner Brothers at that time, um, uh, was very invested in what he called the count which was how many pilots Warner Brothers got to do in a season. And uh, he wanted to have the most. Um, and uh, there was a buddy cop show at NBC that if George would commit, they uh, would pick it up. And uh, But George had read the pilot of ER and, and had uh, rightly and smartly seen that Dr. Doug Ross uh, was everything... That, that George married with that character so that things that may have been deficits in other shows were assets, potential assets here. And he came in for a meeting um, in Barbara Miller's office where the director Rod Holcomb and John Wells 
and I were present, and he charmed the pants off all of us. Uh, and the ultimate part of that was that he told a story. We had recently had the Northridge earthquake, and uh, George at that time apparently had a pet pig. And uh, so uh, th that earthquake happened at 4.30 in the morning or something like that, as I recall. And he ended the story by saying, there I was with my roommate, naked outside with a pig, just another Friday night. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't think there was much question that he was Dr. Doug Ross from that moment on. And, and George, you know, um, George knew the names of everybody's assistant. In those days, there were 12 or something casting directors on the hallways in Building 140. And he knew everybody's name. He knew their dogs' names. And he would wander up and down that hall like it was his mansion and say, hey, you know, how's this and what's that? And are you still this? And um, I, everybody loved him. Yeah, he was good that way. Yeah. Do you, do you take credit for that? What is your relationship with? Because I, I struggle with this in terms of perception. You know, uh, Casting directors who say, I discovered so-and-so right? right. are uh, so full of shit, their eyes are brown. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I just think that's an arrogant, and that, that goes back to our image as the, yeah. the gatekeeper of mm -hmm. everybody's success or failure. Nonsense. We do our work, you do your work, and... Uh, and, and it's still, and it is a collaboration. Completely. From the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. completely. And, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't take credit for anything. I take joy in yeah. finding, uh, going to the Juilliard Showcase and seeing Jessica Chastain and running over to John Wells's office that an hour later and saying, I know you think I fall in love with every redhead, but you've got to meet this girl and tomorrow she'll be gone. And he said, sure, which is what he often says to me, which I greatly appreciate. And uh, she came over the next day and did one of the monologues that she had done in the showcase, and we gave her uh, what was in those days a substantial amount of money to be exclusive to John Wells Productions for one year. And uh, that her success is our success. Uh, I don't take any credit for it. If I hadn't been passionate and advocating, someone else would have. I don't think there's much doubt about it. Um, but I, I love that I... Uh, that I saw it and was able to participate in making it happen. Yeah, that's great. Any other favorite casting stories? You know, you know, Risa. I think one of the things for me that I love the most about our our job is that um, is that it does give you this opportunity to uh, grow and change and learn and uh, be in the world that you aren't in. And during the uh, HIV/AIDS epidemic, we were doing ER. And um, there was a part for an HIV-positive guy. And uh, I said to John, you know, I don't think I used the word authenticity because I don't think we used it in those days. But I, I said, let's, let's try to find a guy who really is HIV-positive to play this part. And he said, sure, if it works, great. And I called the Gay and Lesbian Organization, whatever it was called, I've forgotten. Um, and I said, you know, if there are guys in, in the organization who are comfortable outing themselves as gay and outing themselves as, uh, you know, HIV positive, would you send me their names? And who are actors. For act who are actors, of course. It was a big part. Uh, 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 it was a one great scene. And one particular guy came in and... Uh, of course, I knew lots of people who were HIV positive because it was an epidemic before the pandemic. We, yeah. uh, but it wasn't in my personal realm, right? And one guy came in and he was just so fantastic that, uh, you know, where everybody was just kind of weeping and present. And uh, he said to me, uh, when does this shoot? And I said... Um, I don't know, it was a Tuesday. I said, a week from tomorrow. And he said, uh, my T-cell count is zero. I won't be alive a week from tomorrow. And so the HIV AIDS crisis was personal suddenly. I, I got it in a way that I never got it on reading the Los Angeles Times or the Hollywood Reporter or Variety or whatever, 
or even hearing about an agent I knew well who had it. Who, mm-hmm. uh, uh, uh. And the same thing happened again in Shameless when, for the first time, I, I didn't know that I knew any trans people, if I did. And we had a trans character. And uh, so we got a whole bunch of trans actors who had been born female and were now male. And one of them was a person that I had known when she then was a seven-year-old student in an elementary school with my daughter. And she was a very unhappy uh, acting out child. And when I met this child as a grown person, now a man, to see that uh, he was a happy, well-adjusted person, uh, and it happened that he was the son of uh, of Brad Davis, the actor, and Susan Bluestein, the casting director. Um, and I happened to have been the assistant to uh, Stephen Burkoff at the taper uh, when Brad played the Kafka Metamorphosis. And uh, I had the poster still up in my office, and I may cry. This young man walked over to the poster and said, Hey, Dad, I'm okay. Mm. And, you know, if that doesn't ring your bell, sure. you're dead. Yeah. Mm. You know? And, and so that's what I love about casting. And, and those are extreme examples of being put into, you know, uh, uh, situations and circumstances with people you, your, norm, your, your actual life doesn't, put you in contact with. And, I, and I, I'm better casting director, uh, partner, father, person, as a result of those events. And I think that speaks to, again, the core of, uh, value of what we do, because you're suddenly immersing yourself in the stories of humanity. You know, certainly on ER, you had, and a lot of your other shows as well, but certainly on ER, you had that f- consistent for so many years. Yeah. And when you get to tell those stories, you actually get to, you know, be in a meaningful relationship with the work and the art and the world, and then it makes all the other crap that might come around sure. this, you know, less impactful. And, I, I and you, if you can agree. hold on to and that. And it also, you know, uh, Brad Whitford did ER in a most famous scene where Colleen Flynn played his wife and she died in childbirth. And the scene is shot from outside the room where Anthony Edwards is telling him that his wife has died. And he's holding the infant, and we're outside the glass wall. And the, the conversation is happening and we can't hear it. The dialogue isn't mm. important. And that's when I first met Brad. Mm. And uh, that resonated for me in the casting of The West Wing uh, completely. I, I knew that he could be not just the glib deliverer of walk and talks at 150 miles an hour, but that he could be a person. Yeah. He had a deep emotional life yeah. beyond all the other stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's something that, because of your longevity in this business and mine, but, you know, I'll give you a few more years on me. <laughs> you know, there's for actors listening, it's especially young actors, like this is a thing you've committed to, hopefully, for, for decades, yeah. for a lifetime I, of I, art. I think that's so important. And yeah. it's something I say to young actors any chance I get, which is get the long view. You know, you're going to be doing this for 30, 40, 50 years. It doesn't really matter what happens on Wednesday. Uh, you know, your showcase, we're in the middle of the spring showcase season right now. Right. Yeah. Right? Uh, who gets an agent and who doesn't? Who gets a job first? It, it doesn't mean a damn thing in the long run. And if you can get the long view, you know, uh, uh, you know, you, you, then you can have a long and wonderful career. And if you're just measuring the first crack out of the barrel, <laughs> uh, you're, you're in a, an illusory world. And even for actors right now who have been around for a little while and haven't had an audition in six months, or, and I, we hear this a lot, I had 24 auditions last year, um, or last in the last four months and I worked my guts out and I and I had 14 pages and, and I did it and churned it out and churned it and I got nothing and I'm just fried I can't do this anymore 
Well, first of all, I don't think they got nothing because if they did their work well, they're going to have, you know, uh, an audition is like throwing a rock into a pond. The ripples are going to be there forever. Right. uh, Or at least, you know, for a while. uh, Things, everything has impact and and has, uh, uh, it will have long-term effect on your career and you've got to try to see it that way. Uh, yeah, of course it hurts when you work your ass off and you don't get the job. Or don't even get any response because of self-tapes. Right. You hear nothing back, yeah. right? We hear that a lot from actors. Yeah. yeah. You're and, out there yeah. acting in a vacuum. But I love, because we always, we've talked about throwing your audition into this, the ocean, and there really aren't any ripples there. But I like your metaphor better, you know, about that the, that it has impact and there are ripples sure. in the pond. And if you do your work well and you love it and you bring that to the table, to the to the tape, it will be felt and, and it will matter. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, your question about credit or, you know, uh, uh, Sean Hattesey read for a part on ER, you know, obviously many years ago, and it was a multiple personality character and he got it and he was wonderful. And then some years later, he got the one of the leads in Southland. And then some years later... He got the lead in Animal Kingdom, and um, I, I think um, the director and and Mr. Wells uh, probably think they discovered him, and <laughs> and that's okay with me. <laughs> Sean knows the truth, and so do I. Yeah, yeah. And he was always good, and you oh. you were able to partner Fine. with him. Yeah, right. Exactly. Over all those that, that's years. That's such a great way of saying it. Yeah. Uh, we were collaborators. And, yeah. And and. Uh, I, uh, again, you know, shameless plug. I my journey has been to find the role that I'm right for, and casting came along and was that. And um, as I said early, when I was 30, I didn't know what a casting director was. And you have had the most extraordinary career, which I know is documented in your book, and excited to read it. And I just, you know, I just want you to sit with that—the impact that you have had well, that's the on great, the work. That's the great thing about the book is yeah. that I, when I started, I said to, to Trudy, I said, you know, I know I have a lot of stories, and I've been around a long time, and I, but I don't know what the book's about. And she said, we'll find out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and then we found out that it was about community and about collaboration mm. and, and, and about investing yourself in the work. Mm. And, if, and, and, and as a result of finding that out, the book has a spine and, uh, and is about something. And it, it's not, while it's, I think, important for actors, it's really Im- could be important for anyone who's in search of themselves Mm. and i think no matter what we're who we are or what we're doing we ought to be in search of ourselves and we ought to be in search of how we fit in the community and what the role is that we're right for available on amazon (laughs) yeah (laughs) as a hardback a paperback and an ebook do you do do the the audiobook i haven't done it yet and I, i i'm I'm probably going to do it myself. Good, you should. People keep saying to me, you know, you sound just like John Malkovich. And I never thought of it, but I, and I haven't listened to John Malkovich. I'm to closing see if my it's eyes true. to hear, but uh, yeah. No, you should, read, you should read it yourself. Yeah, I yeah, think so. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. We love sharing this content with our community. We offer it 100% free, and it's our privilege to do so. If you're loving this podcast and are interested in offering something in return, go ahead and subscribe to The Acting Podcast. Then find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen to your podcast and leave us an honest rating and review. Your words will help us bring this work to even more actors and artists around the world. Thank you so much for listening and for being here with us. We love how this community shows up for us and for each other online and in the studio. Jump into a class with us. We're here to get you into the kind of shape necessary to be successful. 